Hey everyone, it's Rich Bennett, host of Conversations with Rich Bennett, bringing you an exciting chance to win with our latest giveaway sponsored by Tar Heel Construction Group. Get ready to make a splash just by tuning into the podcast. Yes, you heard that right. While you're soaking up our latest episodes, listen closely for a special splash sound. When you hear it, remember the episode name. Here's what you do next. Shoot us an email at podcast at harfordcountyliving.com with the episode title. Each splash sound means a new chance to win. So the more you listen, the better your chances. If you don't have email, then just leave a voicemail from our website at conversationswithrichbennett.com. What's the prize? How about a brand new waterproof Bluetooth speaker? Perfect for listening to our episodes, whether you're in the bath, on the beach, in the pool or on the go. You have until the end of May to send in your entries and we'll announce the lucky winner on June 3rd. Don't miss out on this splashy opportunity brought to you by Tar Heel Construction Group. Dive into our episodes and win big. On this episode of the Hartford County Living Podcast, I had the opportunity to sit down with the um, Environmental Health Department out of uh, Hartford County Health Department. I sat down with Molly, Julie, Eric, and John, uh, basically discussing uh, your water, public sewer, public water, uh, well water and septic, as well as uh, rabies, rabies vaccinations and animals that carry rabies. Uh, and as usual, whenever I sit down, so, you know, one of the departments from the health department, I always learn something new. Um, so, you know, sit back, take a listen, and hopefully you'll learn something as well. Ah, uh, falls here. Leaves are changing colors which also means they're falling all over the ground. And that's the part everybody hates is getting out there, just cleaning up all those leaves. Well, call Green Machine Lawns. Green Machine Lawns will go ahead and take care of the leaf removal for you. And if you still need your grass cut, they'll take care of that as well. So give them a holler. Tell them Rich from Harford County Living sent you. Just call them right now at 443-863-YARD. That's 443-863-YARD. You ever watch Holmes and Holmes, Mike Holmes? One of the things, and this brought, this is why I suggested environmental health. And I don't know if it's true down here, but they said up in Canada, well water, it's basically 100% guaranteed there's radon in your well water. Mm. But I never hear anybody so, about that you know, down here talking about that. Well, like radon is not actually, oh, that's kind of complicated. Um, okay. <laughs> radon is not one of those required tests for a well to be certified. So I have very limited data on that, okay. that specific contaminant. You know, there's about... Now, probably 120, 130 regulated contaminants in drinking water. 
by EPA. But there's radon. There could be radon in the air. Yeah, radon in the air is more prevalent. Um, I don't believe EPA has even established like an actual MCL or secondary MCL for radon in drinking water. There's other like naturally occurring radionuclides like your gross alpha, gross beta, radium. You know, you find those in parts of the, um, the state. You know, Hartford County, our geology with naturally occurring radionuclides is mostly like the Moncton zip code. Mm-hmm. You know, in Baltimore, Nice, Cockeysville, Marble, Sutter's Formation, you know, those geologies. Um, Baltimore County is more widespread in that. Anne Arundel County has its own naturally occurring radionuclide issues. Okay. But in other areas of uh, Hartford County, you know, the naturally occurring radionuclides is, like, hit or miss. Like, every once in a while in some geology that you don't expect, you see gross alpha particles over the MCL. And then you sample around there, and there's nothing. You know, it's just isolated to that one property. Um, So, you know, whatever you're talking about. See, (laughs) because drinking water, I'm big on that. because I was stationed down in Camp Lejeune. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what happened down there, but they had from 1955 to 87 or something in that time frame, they found out that the water was contaminated, which is causing seven, so far they found seven different diseases, leukemia, uh, stomach cancer, and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And so basically, if you were stationed at Camp Lejeune, <laughs> civilian or military, you're at a high risk of it. Mm-hmm. So I have to get tested every year. And I would have never thought from the drinking water. Um, because, I, it, you know, I live in Harford County, and to me, I'm sorry, we've always had the best drink of water. I love water, and mm-hmm. I just think it tastes awesome. And you can tell a difference from, you know, different places. I can. Are you on public? Uh, you, public I'm on public, water? yeah. Okay. okay. So yours is right. What, where do you live? Joppa Town. So I think I'm city. Yeah, so you're probably Hartford County DPW. Where do you get your water bill from? Hartford County DPW? Mm -hmm. Hartford County. Okay. So you're what's called a community water system. You know, public water water supplies are like broken into sort of four categories, right? Right. Your community water system, which would be like Hartford County DPW, Town of Bel Air, City of Aberdeen, City of Havergrace. You know, you, you think of them as public water, but their sources could be different things. They may be pulling from drinking water wells. They may be pulling from the Susquehanna. Montebello Reservoir. A reservoir. Really? You know, Winter's Run. Like, whatever. Um, so those community water systems, they are called that because they have at least 15 service connections serving at least 25 consumers that reside there you know, right. year-round. Like, Hartford County DPW is, like, huge, you know, 100,000 customers. Um, But they're regulated by MDE, and they monitor water, like, a lot for a lot. Um, So they're the most regulated drinking water supply. Like, you might see every once in a while that you get um, what's called a, uh, you know, annual operating report or something like that. That'll tell you... um, what they're testing for over the course of their, you know, monitoring period. Okay. Um, a lot of people just throw it in the garbage. But, you know, you can see what your, uh, you can see what your water supply has tested for over that period of time. So then 
So they're like most regulated. Okay. Then your next most regulated would be called your non-transient non-communities. So it'd be like your schools, your daycare centers, things where, you know, like an office building, they're on a well and their population is a fixed group of individuals. You know, um, uh, you know, a daycare center that's on a well or a school, like any of the schools in Hartford County that are located off of the public water system. So like Darlington Elementary, Dublin Elementary, um, North Hartford's complex. Right. They're all on well water supplies. I they're, never knew that. They're all called non-transient, non-community water supplies. Now they're regulated second most. You know, right. they have to comply with the lead and copper rule and bacteria nitrate testing and there's other requirements that are put into their wells that um, uh, have to be done before they're put into service. So then you get into your th- your third category, which is called the transient non-community water systems. So they are, I guess, most regulated community, second most non-transient non-community, third most would be your transient non-community. So this would be like places on a well that are serving people who come and go. So that would be like the McDonald's in Churchville or the Royal Farms down on 152 near 95. You know, those consumers, they come use their water supply for hand washing to make coffee, like whatever, and then they go on their way. So that's, you know, a transient non-community because the population that is serviced by that water supply you know, it's not there for any fixed period of time for any extended duration, right? So they just come and go. We actually monitor them here. So we, um, so the first two I was telling you about, you know, they're regulated by MDE. The third one, the transient non-communities, we regulate them here in environmental health. We have about 180 of them. So it would be like your churches, um, you know, your churches, your food service facilities, your parks. Right. You know, so we oversee their water quality, and they are doing more than a private house, but less than the other two. You know, okay. so they don't have to comply with the lead and copper rule. They don't have the, you know, the annual operating report requirement. You know, all those kind of things that the other two water systems have to do. They, they're exempt from that, but they have more requirements than the private house. So the private house is your fourth type of water supply. So when the private house is um, you know, initially occupied, you know, they, they're building a house and they're going to be on well and septic. You know, okay. That well has to have certain testing done before we will issue what's called the, the certificate of occupancy. So once the house has that testing done, we issue that well something called a certificate of potability. So it's sort of like our approval of the certificate of occupancy and the issuance of the certificate of potability almost are like a simultaneous type of thing. Um, Then the person moves into the house, and at that point it's called a private water system. So it doesn't meet any of the public definitions, and that um, house, you know, that homeowner, could choose to monitor their water, you know, once a year, once every five years, once never. You right. Know? Um, so uh, that one, it's like we we get the testing done when the well is first put into service, and then that water system is the 
the you know the operation and maintenance of that water system is up to the property owner. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of how water supplies work here in the county. With all of that, you guys have to have a big department just for the water part. <laughs> it's like one person. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Uh, we have about 30 people uh, total. Um, three of them are um, clerical, and we have, we're split in two. So we have um, half the staff works in resource protection, which would handle that water quality in, in addition to septics. Um, inspections. Um, we also do subdivision review, building permit review um, in our resource protection area, which is delegated by Maryland Department of the Environment. Okay. And then the other half is our consumer protection, um, which is broken into community hygiene, which would handle your rabies and vector control. And then we have um, our food uh, food group, which would do um, a handful of people do the routine food inspections for all the commercial facilities in, in our county. And then we have another section of the food department that would handle um, food plan review. And that's just under the water part. No. Well, or, or that's under every, I mean, that's. So the that's, food and the rabies are under our consumer protection, okay. which is delegated by Maryland Department of Health. Okay. So, um, Eric's group, you know, consumer protection, Eric's group is like protecting the citizens of the county. Okay. And in my group, resource protection, they're protecting the resources of the county. You know, the water supplies, the wastewater disposal system. But Department of Public Works doesn't fall under you, right? That's no, its own huh. separate No, we work very business. closely with <laughs> okay. Department of Public Works for a variety of things. Especially nuisance complaints. Right. Yeah. So both DPW and Environmental Health handles nuisance complaints in the county. We piggyback off of one another. Um, sometimes we use our our regulation or we will work together on a county code. Okay. Type of violation. Now, do you? Because one of the things I'm seeing a lot lately is people their front yards getting dug up, getting their uh, what is it? I guess the sewage the connection. Line. Yes, line. redone because I guess it's the old terra clay or whatever. Now, is that under you guys too? No. Or, okay. So that's, if they're connected into public utilities, that's through DPW. Now we will okay. handle. Um, if you're on a well in a septic system, if your septic system is failing, and it could be because of old pipes, it right. could just be that the soil, you know, it's hydraulically loaded and it's backing up into your house or onto the ground, you would come to our office to um, first apply for a perk test. We conduct the perk test, and then we would size your repair septic system off of that information. Okay, so the Resource Protection Group also gets involved uh, with community surveys, areas that are were put in on, on uh, their own individual on-site septic systems and okay. are failing for a variety of reasons. We'll go in there often in conjunction with Public Works, perform community surveys, doing an assessment, and pushing some of these developments to connect to the public. Yes. sewer system as opposed to their own on-site. Okay. Yes, we're actually working on a large project right now, and it's the public uh, sewer um, survey, 
um, in an area, there are 79 properties that are currently on private systems, private septic systems, and we are working with DPW to, um, pro we're proposing that they connect to public utilities, public sewer. Okay. Um, we have a community meeting scheduled for, I believe, next week. Yeah, where we Thursday. will provide um, our report. So we've done a survey on all the properties on their existing system. What are what's their availability for repairs, if any? What issues they've had? Um, it will go to a community vote, and if you have at least fifty percent, then you can take it to the county council for a final vote. And if they vote for it, then that property would be required to connect to public sewer. But we would provide. Um, we have some Bay Restoration Fund grants we usually put towards it, and okay. also there are some other low-interest loans, and we would um, work with the county on how to propose that. You just answered my question there, because what would be the cost for the homeowner, but if the grants and everything? There are grants. Now, it is still a cost. They yeah. can, um, you could pay it um, yearly. It would be assessed on the okay. property, and then it could be transferred if you ever sold your property. Um, but it is a, it would be assessed at the at the county, and they would. Uh, so if the council approves it, then they do have to convert Correct. over, which is, I would think, better for them anyways. It usually will improve the value. So it would improve the value of your home. Right. Um, there's no concerns if it fails. What are you going to do if if your property if you have a limited uh, lot and you don't have a lot of room. Um, some of those properties, if your system failed, they would be put on a holding tank. And a okay. holding tank is something you have to pump out on a regular basis. So um, this the sewer petition is um, a great option for some of these neighborhoods that were developed prior to um, our current evaluation process. Okay. And the thing, to, <laughs> the thing to keep in mind about the holding tanks is if a property goes on the holding tanks it usually depreciates their property value and it also by regulation requires us to limit what improvements could be made to that dwelling so if you had you know a 1500 square foot house that was on holding tanks and you wanted to put a thousand foot addition on that a thousand square foot addition right we would likely deny it because when you go into holding tanks it gets recorded into land records based on the square footage that is there at the at time, the time. they go into holding tanks. You know, so if you have marginal soil conditions or you have limited space on your property and you have the option to stay on septic or go to public sewer, I mean, even though you might have some capital investment that you have to make, you know, getting onto public utilities eliminates all those on-site restrictions for these properties, like I'm working on one right now on Trimble Road down in Joppa. And, uh, you know, those lots were created in 1940. Yeah. You know, so they, they had no consideration for setback requirements for wells and septics in the modern era. You know, so they're tiny little lots. Right. Crummy soils. And, you know, they all have issues. And some of them are already on holding tanks and other ones have failing systems. And they're trying to get connected so that, you know, they can resolve their problems. And if one of them wants to put a little bit of an addition on their house to make their, you know, house 
better than it currently is, you know, we would improve it because we're not dealing with, you know, the constraints of the, the soil underneath the property. Are you seeing more people in the county switching from well water and septic to, I guess, you city or whatever? So, I think that the majority of our county is on public utilities. Okay. Um, but what we're seeing is um, small little pockets are able to connect to public sewer partly because um, if they're in the um, development the, envelope. Right, which and, in Hartford County, as Julie will explain, is an inverted T. kind of runs along the Route 40, 95. And then, yes. and then towards and then, Bel Air. Towards Bel Air. Okay. So... Um, what the county and, and the health department were doing is we're looking at these little pockets that have the capability of connecting into utility public utilities and are currently on a private well and septic. We're working together to kind of connect to to um, eliminate the private septic in those okay. areas. And one of the things that we have in our back pocket is the Bay Restoration Fund grant that can assist up to $20,000 per property. Now, per property? Per property to connect into public sewer. Now, we've done a lot of individual um, properties, but when there's a neighborhood or um, something a little bit larger, yeah. we can work with DPW to do this sewer petition. Um, and that usually starts with one of the residents kind of steps up and says, I want I want this. I'm going to work with my neighborhood to petition for that. Um, so we're seeing that. Um, but, you know, majority of people are, are on public water and public sewer. Um, what we're dealing with here in environmental health, if you're on a well and septic, is primarily on the outskirts of that inverted T. Okay. So outside the development envelope, um, it, nowadays you're going to see larger lots um, developed, but like we were discussing earlier, some of the older neighborhoods outside of the envelope had small little lots that mm -hmm. may not be, they might not have met all the requirements for today's standards to right. subdivide. So we're seeing a lot of repairs in those areas. And um, a lot of times it comes up when somebody is transferring property or selling the property. And a real estate, within a real estate transaction, you have to have the septic certified. And a lot of times for the loan, oh, the se okay, septic. the septic would yes. have to be okay. certified. And we're finding that a lot of these properties are not passing that certification. And then they're back in our office, and we're trying to come up with a solution for a septic system. So um, that takes up a lot of our time because a lot of these systems are innovative or alternative. So they're not your conventional drain field system. A lot of them could be... Um, it could be a pressurized system, a low-pressure dosing system. It could be a sand mound, which is above the ground. Right. Um, so then you're looking at engineering costs. Um, we are not engineers, but we do work with them, consultants and engineers, and we, we do review the plans. But we don't actually develop or design them. Okay. I think it's important for you to realize, though, that just because your property is within the development envelope doesn't mean you have access to public utilities. So okay. 
Um, and the reason why I raise this point is I had a commercial, you know, I, I do commercial permit review in my in my spare time. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, this commercial property was proposing an expansion. And that then decide, you know, when the health department is given a permit to review, there are certain things we have to evaluate. We have to evaluate is the existing water supply acceptable and in good condition, et cetera. And is the existing on-site sewage disposal system, you know, acceptable? Well, that we have to do before we issue the permit. In this particular case, this commercial property was connected to public water because okay. the public water line ran right down Route 40. So they were connected to public water. So as far as my water supply review, that part was easy. They're on an approved community water supply. Right. That's good. However, they are presently on a septic system. So because they were proposing this big addition to their building, I had to then determine, is there an area to repair their septic system or if their existing system is not acceptable, can they connect the public sewer? Well, the public sewer infrastructure was nowhere near the property. You know, really? the manholes were a thousand feet away or something like that, and there, there wasn't access for this property to connect. So I had um, Department of Public Works looking at that property to see if it was feasible, if in the future they needed to, could they connect? Well, at this point, the infrastructure isn't close enough for that property to connect to it. So they said, no, the property does not have access to, you know, Hartford County public sewer doesn't have access to City of Aberdeen public sewer. Therefore, they're stuck on septic. All right, well, now it's back in my court. I have to determine, can I replace the septic system on this property before I approve this big addition? Well... It just so happens um, last week we were out doing perk tests here and there was an area established to do the repair. So now we can proceed with permitting their addition. But, you know, it, it, this property is right in the development envelope, but the infrastructure is not always available to it. Or in some cases, we have a failing septic system on another area that has public sewer, in theory, available to the lot. Right, but where the house is located and where the access to the um, sewer service is, physically it may not be possible or not plausible, you know, not yeah. reasonable. So in that case, um, DPW and I were sitting down and asking the property owner to to get us estimates on how expensive would it be for him to access the public sewer along the road that that he fronts. And we're waiting for his estimates to come in because DPW may then say, you know, it's not reasonable for this homeowner to connect at this time. Right. Go ahead and let him repair his septic system. You know, so there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of, I guess, collaboration between our office and their office about properties in the development envelope and you know people people buy a house in the Bel Air zip code 21014 and they think that they have public water and sewer but they might not so right. you always need to 
you know, kind of do your homework. I had another commercial property right here in the town of Bel Air that I would have never thought was on a septic system, but the lot was an old lot created without easements and access to, um, you know, the public sewer service and the properties that are between it and the public sewer won't grant them easement to get access to the public utilities. So they're stuck on septic, you know? So sometimes you have these little legal battles where you have a property here and this public sewer line is here. And in order to get from here to here, you need these guys to give you utility easements. And if they won't, you're stuck. See, and I always saw that somebody was connected to public water. They were on public sewer too. Mm-hmm. I, I never realized you that. You could have one or the other. So, I never knew that. So a lot of times it's, it's to your benefit to do some research before you yeah. purchase or, you know, rent space or whatever it may be. You can always come to our office and request information. We also accept requests um, via email and then we'll email you that information back out. And we're working to get our information online in the future to make it a little Good. bit easier for for the public but at this time you can come in monday through friday and access any information that we have it's all public information don't what's the address <laughs> i'm looking at bali <laughs> she gave the wrong address last time <laughs> oh we're located at 120 south hay street in the thomas hayes building on the second floor that's where you will find environmental health there's actually four categories of properties. There are properties that are on well and septic. There are properties that are on public water and sewer. And then there's properties that are on a well but public sewer or public water but septic. Wow. No, would have never known that. John keeps it all That's straight. Well, exactly. well, yeah, because, I mean, how many people actually do know that? You guys just had the big rabies vaccination thing. What's it? September, right? Well, actually, we run, uh, the health department actually holds a total of eight clinics. We run uh, seven in the spring, uh, on the last Sunday in April, on the first Sunday of May, and that's in conjunction with our local volunteer fire departments. And, you know, we charge $8 an animal, so we're very uh, affordable. And that we, we limit our clinics to dogs, cats, and ferrets. And the one that you're referring to was the one we just held in conjunction with uh the Fort Paul Spawn Training Center right. in the Forest Hill Air Park, and that's always our last Saturday in September. Dogs, so we, cats, and ferrets? And ferrets, correct. Mm-hmm. The, you, are there a lot of people out there with ferrets now? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a good number. Uh, a lot of people tend to take the ferrets into a private setting, a private practice, because they're so small, right. and if there would be a, a, an adverse reaction to the vaccine, which is ex, you know exceedingly rare, Okay. They would have the facilities on site to deal with that. You know, where we're set up at these remote locations, obviously we're running them with veterinarians, but they don't have access to full. I would have never known that about ferrets because I used to have a pet ferret before, but I, I would have never known that. Well, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I mean, obviously looking around the room, I'm uh, obviously the most senior of the senior staff. But in 80, 1986, Hartford County actually led the entire nation in the number of confirmed positive animals. So rabies, because of its unique nature as a, it's a zoonotic, potentially fatal condition, that's it's one of our highest priorities here. Was with, with uh, what are 
because I hear this a lot about, well, oh, watch out for this, uh, you know, it looks rabbit, which I think a lot of people don't understand. There's, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there a difference, foxes, for instance, between being mange and, or having mange and being rabbit? Yeah, because that's a, that's a whole separate Thank disease. You. But you're right. But actually with rabies, there's two forms of it. There's a, there's a dumb form and a furious form. The furious, Did you say dumb? Dumb. D-U-M-B. Okay. As in an animal is, is unusually placid. An animal, you know, we've, we've had cases where people have been approached by animals like out on a trail, a raccoon. Yeah. That's, a, that's a normal. The furious form is, is an animal that just becomes extremely aggressive, kind of jumping out and attacking. Yeah, he ain't walking up to you. He's running at you. <laughs> right. I mean, we, t- we typically run like, in a typical year, you know, we run like 20 to 25 positive rabbit animals a year and we and that's out of probably submitting close to two three hundred animals most of them wow. that, that tend to be uh implicated are the uh are the are the, are the mammals that are carnivores mm-hmm. they tend to be your main vectors in this area it's the raccoon but uh raccoons foxes and bats tend to be your largest transmitters of of the so foxes are large for transmitting they are. I mean, in this part of the country, like so far this year, we've had, uh, I believe, eight positive animals so far out of, out of right. the animals we've submitted, and that's been that was comprised of we've had like I think one bat, two groundhogs, two foxes, and three raccoons, and it depends really on what part of the country you're located. Yeah. Along the eastern seaboard, it's it's the raccoons, the primary vector of rabies. Puerto Rico, it's the mongoose. You get out across the Appalachians, kind of in the Ohio area. You're talking skunks, you know, coyotes down along the Mexico-U.S. border. So it's kind of geographic, and then the, and then the bat strains are kind of ubiquitous. everywhere. Yes. I'm glad so. you said that. See, because I was always told in Harford County, the the three, that the top three that carry rabies the most, bats, raccoons, and cats. As far as domestic animals go, the cat is by far. And you see a lot of, I guess, what are they call feral cats that were just running around the neighborhood. <laughs> Yes, a ton of them. Yes, um, I guess I need to stop trying to get the foxes to come up to me, then. Yes, again, <laughs> and, uh, people may not want to hear it, but the, the foxes are actually, you know, they will prey upon the cats. That's that's kind of a in some places where the fox populations are doing very well, it tends to be around a lot of these areas where these right. people are maintaining these. Uh, well, at least you, at least I didn't hear you say my favorite one. So squirrels. No, no. I know a lot, a lot of people in the county hate squirrels, but I love them because they come up to me. We get that. <laughs> yeah, we get that all the time too. I mean, amphibians, reptiles, birds cannot acquire rabies. It's strictly a disease of, of warm-blooded mammals. Okay. And like I said, so I mean, obviously, any any warm-blooded mammal can acquire the disease, but it's mostly those carnivorous species that we talked about that are the main vectors for so how often should somebody get their pets vaccinated well or is it one time well they have to be at least three months of age okay that's that's the youngest and then the the first shot that that an animal receives will be good for you it'll expire in a year okay the vaccines that we use it depends on the manufacturer the vaccine that we use at our clinics after an animal has had its first shot the following year we can give them a three-year shot and that has to do with uh, the immune response of an animal. You give an animal a rabies shot that's never had one, it takes about a month for that animal to build up a, an immune you know, response against the virus. I'm still, I'm still baffled about the ferret one. 
Yeah, and, and, that, and that's come a long way. At least they're at least they're treated now as a as a domestic animal. When I in my early years here, when they were still like an exotic pet, yes. I didn't know enough about it. We had to treat that like a wild animal. We used to have to go out with the police, with animal control, with warrants to take people's ferrets because there was no suitable quarantine period. That once they, you know, you know, so many days elapsed yeah. before, and, and no appearance of any kind of signs or symptoms, we could rule out that they weren't infectious at the time of the bite. That's in connection with the bite, right? So if somebody so calls in and says they were bit by a ferret. We had issues years ago. Right. Well, and that's one of the things that I found from when I had my ferret. Ferrets will bite, and I found that if you keep them caged up, they bite. But if you just put out, and this is what I do with mine, I put out a litter box, and it just ran around the place. Yeah. Never bit. Right, and as Julie yeah. just tested, uh, t- you know, touched on, we typically you know, investigate anywhere from seven to 800 animal bites a year, bites and scratches. And normally what that requires is, I mean, by law, animal bites are reportable. So if you go to right. your, you know, an urgent care center, your doctor, they have to report that. A lot of the reports come directly into our office, some come into you know, local law enforcement. And the people are actually served with an animal bite report, the owner of the animal. We go out and follow up 10 days. Right. And if the animal's still alive and healthy, we can rule out any possible transmission of the virus. Other animals, livestock, cattle, horses, they have a 14-day period that have to be satisfied before we can take them off of quarantine. And not to confuse everybody, but then there's different holding periods depending upon the vaccination status of an animal. If your dog had uh, an altercation with a raccoon and it was up to date on its rabies shot, it would be looking at giving it a booster shot, another rabies shot, and right. we would kind of observe it under quarantine for 45 days. An animal that's never had a rabies shot before, you're looking at either putting that animal down and having right. it tested, or it's like a very strict double cage isolation arrangement where for four months, it requires us to go out on site, we take pictures, there's documentation, paperwork that has to be exchanged, you vaccinate the animal, and then you watch it very closely for four months. It can't have, it can only have uh, contact with one caregiver, no other animals, no other people. And wow. if during that four months, it would start to show signs and symptoms, we would have to. And that is if, yeah. if it was in an altercation with a wild animal that we didn't have tested, that we didn't have... And Correct. Either we, we knew it was positive, it was either tested, or right, it could be positive, or it's one of those high risk species we talked about. Right. That it gets away. There's an altercation that gets away. We have to assume the worst. Then, then it comes down to your vaccination records, whether it's going to be a 45 or a four month. Now you said if somebody gets bit, and you and I talked about this briefly before we started recording. I told you about how my sister with the bad saliva. Right. So is that different? I mean. How does somebody even know something like that? Yeah, bat, bats are treated completely differently. Basically, we, we instruct the public that if they if they're, they awaken or they, they discover a bat in their living space, yes, that we we really want to test the bat. Okay, under you know under pretty much under almost any circumstances. I mean, in the in the regulations, they get very detailed about is it somebody that woke up you know in a, in a that was sleeping, are they a deep sleeper, were they inebriated, all these other factors. But if people tell us they, they came across the bat in their living space, we're going to test it because we don't know how long it's been flying that's, around. That's we don't if they know. can even catch the bat. That's correct. But what but, if they can't catch the bat? Then what? 
Well, then we, we have to assume that they were potentially exposed. Okay. And we have to move then forward with... We work very closely with our infectious disease nurses. Right. Another component of the, of the health department. And, an, and a risk assessment's done. And we may have a lot of people then that would be potentially eligible for the post-exposure. Protocol. So they should definitely... I mean, if they find one in their house and that bat's gone, they can't catch it. Definitely De- get to the doctor. Call, call us, let us, call, yeah, let, 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 you know. let us know. Because I know there are a lot of people that have found catch, bats in their house. And try to let them go. Yes. Yeah. I figured that, okay, he didn't bite me, I'm good. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> well, right, keep in mind, if you find one, there might be more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if one was uh, you know, able to get in. You don't know if there's others hiding. And bats are, it's very easy for bats to get in the house as you think about it because you have, you know, the eaves, even through, um, I know I found one, it, it didn't get into the house, but all of a sudden my furnace stopped working. And I called my buddy up, he came over and took it apart. There was a, a bat had gotten into the flue and got stuck in the propeller, so it didn't get in the house. I was lucky there. Yeah. I mean, the good news is, is like less than a, a tiny fraction of less than 1% of all bats, you know, would come back positive, right. which is a good thing. And they are highly beneficial. We just try to encourage people if they're going to set up bat to do it kind of away from the house, maybe not over their, right over their oh, the bat boxes, the bat yes. boxes, they are, <laughs> they are beneficial. And like I said, they knock down the mosquitoes, which are... Yeah. Especially a big, a bigger problem. I was going to say it was this summer. I bet everybody wanted pet bats to. <laughs> to yeah, yes, yeah. that's right. You're eating, eating alive by mosquitoes, or risk of the bat encounter. That's right. Now the uh, well, mosquitoes is a different thing. That you don't handle that part, right? Well, we're we're involved with mosquitoes. Oh, really? Then, okay. Yeah. Right now, that's a. Uh, usually, it starts anywhere from June first, usually till the end of October, is the prime season for for the mosquitoes usually by october 31st we've had our first frost heavy frost which mm-hmm. knocks the mosquito population out who knows this year it seems like all we have is rain and summer, and, and summer. <laughs> it feels like it feels like yeah. living in the tropics 9th, and it's going to be in the 80s today yeah right 100 uh, humidity <laughs> but yeah the state actually has a very comprehensive it's an arbovirus surveillance plan that with uh the Maryland Department of Agriculture, that's the state agency that, that houses the, mos- the mosquito control folks. Okay. The Department of Natural Resources and the, the Maryland Department of Health. We all work closely together. Everybody has like little, little, little parts of the equation. I mean, our main role, I mean, we have staff here that uh, have certification through the Maryland Department of Agri- uh, Agriculture to apply long-lasting larvicides, which we've been doing extensively this year. Right. It's got an you know, uh, active period of about 180 days where it's very effective about uh, you know, knocking out mosquito larvae. It's not harmful to other organisms. It's very species-specific. And the Maryland Department of Agriculture also has uh, monitoring stations set up you know, throughout the, the state where they're constantly monitoring, testing the, the mosquitoes okay. that land in these traps, screening them from everything from dengue, chikungunya, Zika, West Nile virus, Tripoli, all those mosquito-borne viruses. So as you probably heard on the news, there's been a lot of, it's been a lot this year. Maryland's had, I think, like from like 33 cases, I think, just in the Baltimore oh. metropolitan area. And any anything, because of medical confidentiality, you know, we can't just disclose 
often whether it's a human case or, a, or an equine case, but there's basically four triggering events that will, will result in uh, the Maryland Department of Agriculture and Mosquito Control mm-hmm. coming out to spray, and that would either be a, a positive human case of a mosquito-borne illness, a positive equine case, a positive mosquito pool, because they're monitoring these mosquito right. pools, or a number of, you know, only the, the female mosquitoes bite. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I didn't know that. Males don't. You know, only the females bite and take blood. I could say something. I know, I was going to say. <laughs> but I'm not. That's typical. <laughs> but, 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 hey, I guess they get it from the spiders. Yeah. But, but if they capture a certain number of females over a certain period of time and it exceeds a certain threshold, that can also result in... In, in a spring event where they go out and fog. Right. So fogging is a, is a way of dealing with the adult mosquitoes. The larva siding is a way that, that we deal with the larvae. Yeah. And we work kind of closely with Maryland Department of Agriculture. A lot of times we'll be joint surveys. We'll, we'll go out to a community and we'll survey properties. And if we have neighbors, as you're saying, somebody with a stagnant pool that's not maintaining it, we put them on notice. We can treat the pool okay. for them. But they're also put on notice they need to address the, the problem. Well, one of the things, because, you know, somebody was sending me press releases about spraying in neighborhoods. And when I when I would put it on the website and then post it on the Facebook, I, some of the, the comments I was seeing, I, I felt like I was a kid again. Oh, I remember they used to remember the mosquito trucks coming around. And as a kid, they did it all the time. I remember the mosquito trucks coming around spraying. But I think this, a lot of people are saying this is, the first time in years where they're seeing that, the truck's going around spraying again for them. Cause we're gonna I'm get, just seeing more bats. Yeah. <laughs> we're bats rating the mosquitoes, and yeah. we're on course to have, what, the wettest year on record, yeah. I think, if it keeps up. So. And I remember um, when we were dealing with Zika, people were under the impression that it was the large bodies of water that would really be the breeding grounds, but it was really, really? the smaller... The smaller things like like kid toys in your yard or um, right, you know, if you had an ashtray or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like the smaller things that will collect water. Yeah, right. They don't like deep. Yeah, that's that's like the yeah, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize that. And one of the things because I I've told people before, and they only think about yeah, they'll turn their bird baths upside down or whatever. It'll take in the ashtrays, but the flower pots. You know, with the yeah, with, with the, the little things, yeah, the it catches the water. And or if you have a tarp and just look, like little divots in it, it yeah. can hold the water. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and now it brings up a good point because, it, like I said, the species that are most linked with the spread of the, uh, the potentially you know serious arbovirus is like the the Asian tiger mosquito, the, the Aedes albopictus, and Culex pipiens. They're the one. They're the mosquito species that are most linked with spreading. Those diseases. A lot of these, we've had a lot of a lot of flood water, <laughs> a lot of standing water, but a lot of the mosquitoes that, that breed in the flood waters aren't the ones typically that are spreading the disease. They're nuisances. They bite. Yeah. But they're but the ones that Molly referred to are the ones that are most often linked with uh, spreading then, disease. I thought I saw something there where, like, you can have Western Nile not even know it. That's correct. It's like like symptoms are different for everybody. Yeah, they, 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 you may not even show symptoms. That's correct. They they say with most people, eighty percent of people that are exposed to it won't won't show any signs of symptoms at all. Twenty up to twenty percent of folks, they may they may run like a low grade fever, right? Muscle aches, you know, very very similar to flu like symptoms. Usually comes on anywhere from three to fifteen days. Okay. 
the serious disease, the neurological disease, the ones that you hear about in the news sometimes, I think there was somebody I saw recently that was on an incubator, and you know, I thought it was Channel of News last night, mm-hmm. that was bitten, you know, exposed to West Nile. Less than 1% of, of the population actually develops neurological signs. You know, the and men- some, encephalitis yeah. and meningitis type effects, yes. Yeah, because at one time I was, you know, when, when you get old like me, you start worrying about every little thing. I was like, because I had gotten bitten. It's like, man, stupid. Well, I'm looking at the symptoms, muscle aches. I'm old. I got arthritis. I had muscle yeah, aches. Yeah, exactly. Time. How do you yes. do the difference? But never had the fever or anything. I was like, eh, oh well. What's the difference so, of being older having West Nile virus? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the yeah. West Nile virus and yeah, it's like very, it's very similar like the food foodborne illnesses. Right. Almost all of them cause diarrhea, upset stomach, mm-hmm. vomiting. So yeah, it's, and it's, nowadays it's the medicine they give you for that that also causes yeah, yeah, that's exactly all the side effects. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh jeez. All right, so it's very for mosquitoes. It's very important that people definitely look around their house and you stand in water, get rid Eliminated. of it, especially. With all the rains we've had, scrap tires. Scrap tires. It takes about, um, it takes a little less than a week for a mosquito to run its full life cycle. So we're, that's why we're always trying to tell you. Know, we always kind of err on the side of caution by telling people, empty the flower pots, the bird baths, change the water like twice a week is a good, kind of a good goal. Well, even your push lawnmower. A lot of people don't even think about that because a lot of people keep their push lawnmower outside, but right around the engine, yep, so yep. Well. water collects. Yeah, tarps, every, everything, you know. It's, it's amazing. Wow. And it's with the rabies, again, thanks for clarifying the, the fox part on, about me, but, you know, that uh, bad mange is different. Um, okay, you, with rabies, because, I, I, you know, like I said, I like to call the things up. So if they're running at you, more or less, they're rabbit. But you said there's also another type to where... Well, there's a lot, there's a, like I said, you have to always realize there's a lot of diseases out there that affect wildlife, you know. Uh, some of I got to stop playing with these wild oh, animals. You got, you got, you got parvo, <laughs> distemper, all, but, but generally an, an animal, you know, most wildlife's going to keep a respectful distance. You know, you see a, a fox, a raccoon, it's, you know, getting a little too close for comfort. That's kind yeah. of a sign that you want to okay. keep, keep away. Because I know we just had... Um, Animal control come to where I live, not to my house, but my neighbor. And he said the night before he heard scratching at his downstairs door. <laughs> Looked at it, it was a possum. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, so called, and the next day it was still there. So he called animal control, and I even talked to the guy from animal control. He said he said there's definitely something wrong. This this possum didn't run away or nothing. Just stayed at that door. Yeah, so you have to stay alert. But so, yeah. they, they, I tell you, wildlife in general, they're becoming very acclimated to humans. I mean, I, I guess as we encroach no, into, right, foxes, <laughs> raccoons, coyotes, you know, they're all, they've all adapted very well to living with, with people. So we always tell people, you know, love your own, leave the other ones alone. It's a good, good rule to follow. Have you, ha- have you had heard of any cases around here about rabbit coyotes? Because, I mean, I know we have coyotes in the area. There have been rabbit, not, not, we haven't had any in, in Hartford County, okay. but I have heard, st- you know, stories, reputable stories that they have moved through parts of, you know, the county. Oh, yeah. Like I said, they, they've adapted very well 
Whoever thought that one day, who never thought that we'd see a black bear walking around Harford County? Yeah, you know, but they all they all expand and establish their own territories, so it's all part of the game. Uh, does anybody have anything to add? Anything I forgot? I definitely want to get you guys on again. I can sit there and talk all day with you, John, about the water. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't realize a couple of things there. I was, I would just like to close saying that, um, yes, environmental health handles a lot of different um, things. I like to say we we handle what goes in you and what comes out of you, and how it interferes interacts with the environment. Um, but you know, if you ever have questions, don't assume anything. We're we're one of the things that we do is education, and we provide information. So we're we're a pretty um, happy bunch, and you know you can come into our office anytime during the week that we're open, Monday through Friday, and we can help provide information. We're a phone call away. You can access us through email on our website. And, and we do provide a lot of good information to the public. And you guys will, if, if somebody calls, like a Lions Club or whatever, and asks somebody to come out and talk, do a presentation, you guys do that as well? Yes, we've done okay. presentations, I know, for um, some of the school systems for uh, uh, regarding food safety. We So we do food safety presentations. We also have given presentations on healthy homes regarding wells and septic systems. We've, we've conducted Lyme, Lyme disease, Lyme disease uh, for realtors. We can provide information. Um, yes, so we are available um, to give info. If you have a small group that would like to hear okay. um, some information, we can provide that. That'd be another, actually another podcast I would love to do for you guys. One, on Lyme disease. Uh, I guess probably spring would be good, mm-hmm. right? And, and food safety. Yes. Food safety is... Big, especially you get people like me that like to sit out there and grill all the time, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't look at, at uh, you know different things. And as far as like the local farmers and all that, right? It's a lot of time, temperature, and you know, ref, you know. Oh yeah. Making sure you're you have an approved source. We'll set that up for another one. Oh, you look, Molly's I'm ready right now. Dan, I love that. Well, I want to thank you guys again, and um, definitely if anybody listening, if you want them to. You know, do a presentation for you, call them. If you have any questions about anything, whether you've been bit, whether, you know, you need to get your septic checked out, definitely call the uh, health department. What's the number again? Our main number is 410-877-2300. And that will send you directly to our front um, desk, and they will transfer you to whichever department department you need. Because we have a lot of departments. Right. Which, and again, that's something all, every podcast I've done with you, I learn something new every time. Mm-hmm. See that? Yeah. Whoever says education doesn't stop. Right. A lot of departments, <laughs> but few individuals. So, yeah, like, that's what surprises so me. My, too. my <laughs> side of the building is 10 people, Eric's side of the building is 13. So, all these things we were talking about, and you're like, oh, you must have five people. You know, in many cases, it's one person, and that's not the only thing they do. Right, like Johnson, we didn't even we didn't even touch on the, the the regulatory programs we have in place for the inspection of pools and mm-hmm. camps and food service facilities and the plan review that's done. So that's just you guys wear several different hats. Yeah. Yes, that's amazing. I, I we're never bored. Well, that's good, and it makes <laughs> a day go by quicker because you're so busy, right? Correct. Yes, there you go. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 you're all you know I'm 25. I look a hundred times older than all of you. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, guys. Yes. Thanks. Appreciate it. Ah, uh, falls here. Leaves are changing colors, which also means they're falling all over the ground. And that's the part everybody hates is getting out there just cleaning up all those leaves. Well, call Green Machine Lawns. Green Machine Lawns will go ahead and take care of the leaf removal for you. And if you still need your grass cut, they'll take care of that as well. So give them a holler. Tell them Rich from Hartford County Living sent you. Just call them right now at 443-863-YARD. That's 443-863-YARD.